This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here in our New York studio, very excitingly, with our digital director, Mike Hogan. Katie, we're here. Hi! And our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello, you're you're real. <laughs> I came back to remind you that I'm here all the time. Uh, and <laughs> this we is also- like Morning Joe when Joe and Mika actually show up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut MSNBC joke. Joanna is also still here, You're holding down the remote fort for me. Hello, I'm Tina not real. Robinson. <laughs> I'm not real. I'm just a series of ones and zeros here to offer my opinions. I forgot how your Skype avatar kind of scowls at us as we, uh, as we report the table here. Just, uh, you disapprove of all of our opinions ahead of time. I'm judging you all the time. <laughs> uh, well, we're here. Uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who tweeted at us. Uh, first of all, during the Golden Globes when Rocketman won. We'll get into that. And then uh, also who asked for immediate Golden Globes reaction episode. We didn't do one. Sorry to make everybody wait. There's a lot going on. It felt like a lot. But it was nice that everyone was thinking about us during the mm. Golden Globes. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was a good feeling. But another reminder, the Golden Globes are not the Oscars. We will do an immediate Oscars episode. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. yeah, out of out of self-respect, we waited two days <laughs> yes. to do a response. Yeah, we have to we have to let them know how important they are. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, we should note that we will do an immediate Oscar nominations episode next Monday. Mm-hmm. So don't worry, we're we're still here. Uh, but anyway, we made you wait a long time to hear Mike's stories from inside the Golden Globes. So we'll get into <laughs> that. Uh, we'll get into the BAFTA nominations, the WGA nominations, and then because this is our last episode before the Oscar nominations, we'll talk about those and any last minute predictions. So in this shortened award season, uh, there is a ton to talk about. Uh, but first, Mike. You went to the Golden Globes. This is the, was this the second time that you've gone in person? Um, yes, second time. Uh, how was it this time? It was good. You know, it was. It started with um, me being stuck in one part of the red carpet, not being able to get to another, and I tried to blag <laughs> through and was like almost tackled by a security guard. Um, oh, don't they want you to just get on in the door? Like they don't want you hanging yeah, out out there. Yeah, they didn't want me. But actually, it really started with me being stuck behind Billy Porter in his feathered outfit while he stopped for like for like every single person to take a picture of him. Mm-hmm. I'm now going to scour every red carpet photo of Billy Porter <laughs> to see you in the oh, background. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was hanging out on the red carpet and, you know, talking to the people who I know who are like Louis K., Amy Poehler's publicist, who's like, I'm holding Amy's like wallet, keys and um, phone and she's taking pictures and I have no idea where she is. And there's a giant scrum of people. I hope I find her <laughs> and she doesn't have to walk home. Um, so and then uh, and then Jason Momoa and Lisa Bonet cut me on the way into the ballroom, uh, which I was gl- glad to, you know, I mean, stand he's about, aside. like a foot taller than you. It like he can like, do whatever he wants. I didn't even exist. It was just sort of like. You know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't rude. It was just it, it was a natural uh, order of things. It was fun, you know, like like being in the bathroom line with Eddie Murphy, like all that sort of stuff is just bizarre. There was a lot of for some reason, um, Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons spent the entire time like standing out, uh, you know, near the bar. Um, so that was kind of fun. Every time you went for a drink or whatever, um, they were there. And at the end of it, Taika Waititi and Sam Rockwell were hanging out with them. And Taika Waititi was like throwing Sam Rockwell's body around. And Sam Rockwell was asking if uh, the Irishman won Best Picture. Um, so it was <laughs> you like, you know, go like, no, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they figured it out. Um, I don't know. So it was just all that, all that stuff. And you know, you see like. A-Rod and J-Lo in the flesh or whatever, and it's just sort of like all pretty amusing. Uh, Joaquin walking down the red carpet in a sea of people just doing the Joaquin thing. Joaquin got a Joaquin. (laughs) (laughs) So I texted with a friend who was at the show as well, and her big question was, how did Gervais play on TV? Mm -hmm. And in your opinion, how did he play in the room? It was interesting. The press, who I was sitting with, were all dying. 
honestly. Like, the meaner he was about the celebrities, the more everybody was actually really laughing and enjoying it. It did seem like muted response from the celebrities themselves. But, I mean, this thing is also... You know, everyone kind of knows like what they're in for. It's not. It's not exactly as you put it. I think in your review, this is not exactly like a radical critique at this point. Um, but it's just sort of edgy and obnoxious enough, I think, to get everyone laughing. I do think, like you said, you know, for for Jen Aniston to have to come out after that and be like, "Hi," That's, and, and then of Russell Crowe gave her a, a speech to read that was <laughs> right. after just after he said no political speech. It was just like I, I felt so bad for her. It, it uh, is interesting. That. Because I think a lot of people in the room, not because they disagree with the politics, but because they're feeling insecure about Hollywood being kind of a caricature of a bunch of limousine liberals who are out of touch, really do agree with him that it would be better if people would just accept the fucking award and walk off stage. You know, I I don't necessarily I think I mean, I agree that it is can be a bad look, but I also think, you know, if Michelle Williams, you know, and sincerely wants to say that, like, let her say it. But I do think there's a lot of people who feel kind of protective of Hollywood's long term viability and are like, guys, don't do that. Like, it annoys everybody. It alienates half our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, when Patricia Arquette was doing her thing, I, I heard this somewhere at the absolute back of the room. Like, there's the back of the room where the cameras are, and then there's another sort of 50 feet. It's and another like, world. Somewhere back there. I don't know who those people were, but one guy was yelling, shut up! <laughs> At Patricia Arquette, I was like, really? You know, but uh, was I guess John Voight be... nominated, or was he just <laughs> <Yeah>. there? <laughs> I guess you figure there has to be one Trump vocal <laughs> sure. MAGA person in a room of you know several thousand people. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting. I had a few people were kind of like, I don't, I don't think Michelle, you know, Williams should have just written an op-ed. I mean, it really isn't the time. Uh, but it is what it is. What are you gonna do? I mean, it sounds like gatekeeping to be like, not everyone should give a speech. Um, But I think Michelle Williams, like, there are some that just feel genuinely powerful. That's how I felt about Michelle Williams' speeches. And then there are some that you're just sort of like, okay. You know, and and, uh, it's hard to know probably if you're the nominee when you're writing your speech, whether or not you're going to have a Michelle Williams moment or something else. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like if you win, you get to say what you want. And that's that's the rules, right? right? (laughs) And and I think Michelle Williams is somebody she clearly has written these beforehand. Like and and, like she she puts real thought Mm -hmm. and there's context, you know. I think I think that's 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 way preferable than just like the kind of off the cuff like oh, I ha- oh th- there's a camera's pointed at me and I'm on a stage and people are listening like let me just say something yeah you know? and if you're an activist the point of it is to right. provoke people and not everyone's going to like it it's just yeah. that there are people who just kind of like can we just have a show yeah right. um, and, and I have and, great respect for Joaquin Phoenix who like didn't he said he didn't like prepare but he's a lifelong vegan he talked about it in our cover story so he gets up there and kind of talks about like don't take a private jet to Palm Springs for the environment like right. I don't know like that seems <laughs> that that felt more pointed being like, hey, guys, you took a private jet to Palm Springs like two days ago for the Palm Springs Film Festival. Right. I mean, maybe I'm more the target audience for the limousine liberals than uh, some of the people they're worried about. Well, exactly. I mean, Brad Pitt, I think, nailed it perfectly. I I really feel very vindicated in our discussion. Not that it was like this great insight or anything, but that that was a, you know, that he was going to carefully prepare his Oscar audition speech. He absolutely did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at the end of it, just be like, uh, if you see somebody, be kind to him. We could use that nowadays. I mean, that's what people want is that sort of like broad, general, how can you argue with this, but let's all be better people, inspirational message of Hollywood versus, you know, people are anxious about being divisive. But Or like Tom Hanks' speech where it yeah. was like, be on time, have respect for people, which coming from Tom Hanks, you're like, yeah, that does seem like something you would uh, you would live your life by. And like, so I th- thought yeah. Tom Hanks was going to go farther on that. You know, mm. it felt very sort of technical and actorly to me. I was disappointed. I thought we were he was going to like bring the house down and we would all be in tears. And yeah. that he would use Fred Rogers as some kind of contrast to the way we live now. Mm. But clearly he just decided not to go there. Well, I think, you know, I think that after Oprah gave that barn burning speech two years ago or whatever for the same award and it was incredible yeah. and everyone's like, run for president, you know, like yeah. that was a big speech. Mm-hmm. I think that Hanks, who is kind of, in second position as show business is like, you know, pastor to the masses. Like it's, yeah. he's one tier under Oprah in that regard. Um, and I think he's aware of that. I don't know. I chose to read a sort of a sneaky kind of plea for 
broader competence, not just, you know, actors showing up on time and doing the work and being conscientious and being a good person to work with and for and, you know, uh, but like maybe there was this kind of messaging that was sent a little bit further than Hollywood about about like being a kind of good, decent person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I chose to read it. I think I think maybe he really just was talking about acting. But yeah, um, I don't know. I liked his speech, even though, yeah, I'm like I, I, I from from my my cynical sitting on my couch being like, oh, I have to write, write a review of the show. And I'd already written my Gervais paragraphs. And I was like, all right, what else? What's going to be the next big thing? And then I was like, it's going to be Hanks. And then it yeah. wasn't You're really. Like, and I was that. like, oh, okay. well. Okay. But Chet Hayes was on the red, uh, red carpet to rap for you. So uh, yep. <laughs> Chet Hayes had his big comeback moment. <sighs> Who knew he was going to be the one? It was, a lot, it was funny seeing people on Twitter be like, uh, clearly a lot of people don't remember Gawker because they're just finding out about Chet Hayes now. Yeah. Do your research. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah. And and I got to talk about my favorite Tom Hanks um, offspring, which is uh, Liz Hanks, who looked fantastic. Yeah. Former. I didn't actually get to see her, but she's a former Vanity Fair uh, staffer and a great person. So it was cool. I, mean, I saw her in the table of like tearful looking Hanks family members. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, Joanne, I feel like you and I are like more aggressively anti-Gervais than many people. And like I kind of got over him this time and like didn't mind him as much. Were you more annoyed? I think you and I had such like an initial bad reaction to him being picked as host that we were both kind of like, eh, that was okay. It was fine. <laughs> you know? And they found enough like celebrities to cut away to who were laughing that I was sort of like, eh, nobody's having a super bad time. It's fine. But then Tom Hanks you know, making like a couple grimaces to turn into gifts too. Just to add yeah, to and it. he's he's taking big swings at like corporations, and so you're like, okay, well, I'm not gonna like, okay, <laughs> sure, you know. So well, and I think that that again, going back to that whole kind of like the anxiety about taking yourself too seriously, I think that there is a strong feeling in Hollywood that showing that you have a sense of humor about yourself and that you're in on the joke is helpful, mm-hmm. right? At a time when we're like just like these brutal almost zero-sum culture wars to kind of be like, hey, guys, you know, we get it. We're, we're on mm-hmm. a side, maybe, but, like, we, we can take a joke, at yeah, least. I mean, speaking of having a sense of humor about yourself and, like, the Brad Pitt speech, which I think was, like, perfect for many reasons, but he made a Titanic joke, which endeared me to Brad Pitt, and then Leonardo DiCaprio, like, laughs very nicely at it. Like, it yeah. made me like the two of them in combination just for the, like, the rapport in there and, like, the willingness not to be like, oh, well, that movie was 25 years ago or whatever. Like, there was, there was opportunities for that as well. Which, by the mm-hmm. way, is what this whole thing is. It's a popularity contest. Right. Like, let's not forget the whole point is to be like these are people whose profession is effectively to be liked or Mm -hmm. empathized with or whatever. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, we will never probably know for sure, like how much the Golden Globe speech is the audition for the Oscar speech. And, you know, I I, I said that it was for Glenn Close last year. and We all know how that turned out. (sighs) But like. Voting was still open for the for the nominations, you know, um, during the, the Globes. And, you know, obviously the, the voting for the actual winners is a different process. But, like, I just can't imagine being an Academy member and seeing Brad Pitt give that speech and not being like, I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, 100%. I don't know. I feel like that was really good for him. Yeah. yeah. And same with Laura Dern. I, I can't remember if it was... Mike, who said, or maybe Mark Harris and his piece, like both Brad Pitt and Laura Dern came up and it was just like, everyone in the room is happy to see them win. Everyone likes them. Like, yes. those are good mm-hmm. speeches. I don't remember Laura Dern's speech as well, but I think she uh, did this. I mean, she's kind of had a coronation this whole season. So it would have been really hard for her to mess that up. But I think both of them just had that warm reception. I met my first Academy voter who found Hustlers vulgar. <laughs> Oh, and was I it the same guy you talked to at Tiff? <clears throat> yeah, maybe. It was a woman. Yeah, seriously. And I literally was just like, oh, we knew you were out there. Yeah. <laughs> we loved the movie, but we knew it was going to have a problem because you guys were going to find it vulgar. And like, yeah. that's okay. So I think Laura Dern probably, you know, at this point, it, it probably has the edge over J-Lo. I mean, anything, it's not to say it couldn't happen, but I, I, I suspect. Well, speaking of, you know, like out of touch uh, celebrities, when Dern gave, went up to give her speech, she started with this like, and thank you to Noah Baumbach for like giving me the opportunity to give a voice. And I was like, oh, my God, has she completely snapped the tether and like thinks that her role in that movie is like some <laughs> triumph of representation. And then she made it into yes. a joke. Yeah, and yeah, I thought that, that, was, very, that was really good. <laughs> right. Was Another really case of like taking yeah. the air out of the ego yeah. stuff. I yeah. mean, that's a good theme this year. I, I do think, interestingly, that Laura Dern's success may ultimately hurt Adam Driver and you could you could imagine That's what I was wondering this yeah, settling exactly. into like all right Laura Dern's going to get that Joaquin's going to get that um and we might be done at this point like it's it's Laura Renee Joaquin and Brad yeah. I mean uh, it it might be I I'm still holding out hope that like Adam is a possibility for it, like Joaquin is very good in that movie that I didn't very much like. And so like if he wins, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be like, this is a travesty. But um 
But I was really hoping that Adam would win in that award. And I was wondering if, like, they don't want to give two awards to actors in Marriage Story. And then I was like, why didn't they nominate Laura for Little Women instead? Because honestly, this is this this award for Laura Dern does not feel tied to her performance in Marriage Story. It feels like honoring her entire career and her role in Hollywood, all of which she deserves. And she's great in Marriage Story, but she's equally great in Little Women. So like... Well, it's also know, an award I, for know. Big Little Lies for two seasons. Oh, right, exactly. Or an award for, yeah. you know, Jurassic Park. Like it's, I mean, there and that happens in the supporting categories more, I think, like the idea of like a career culmination award. And it's hard to... But there's I mean, an aspect just, of that for Joaquin though too. Definitely. Here. I mean, I mean, Joker's yeah. like a billion dollar hit, too. So, like, you know, he yeah. he has given so many of those kind of like transformative, weird performances, like in The Master or even Walk the Line, that like Joker is so in line with those. It's like, okay, now is the time that all the pieces come together. I mean, I think about like the only Oscar Al Pacino has ever won is for Scent yeah, of a yeah, Woman. Yeah. It's yeah. like that. He didn't win for Scent of a Woman. He won yeah. for being Pacino. Yeah, or and, Training Day or whatever. Right. So it's yeah. like, I think that the Globes are very literally and almost transparently spread the wealthy. Like, they're, they're literally, the purpose is to keep the junkets flowing and make sure everybody buys a table mm -hmm. at the thing. So we do have to be very cautious in over-interpreting, you yes. know, these results. If anything, I think somebody, I can't remember who pointed out that, if anything, their predictive power comes from their desire to be predictive. Right. Uh, I think it was Anthony on our Globes episode. Yes, yeah, that they right. want to be seen as having been predictive, not that they have the power to influence the Academy. But that makes it interesting that 19 1917 won both picture and director. Yeah. Because how easy would it have been to give Scorsese or somebody else that director? I mean, I Sam Mendes looked like he was the most surprised person in the room. I don't think anybody at Universal expected that award. They were they were feeling confident about picture more so than I had understood or realized. And by the way, they have the same um, consultant, Tony Angelotti, working on that, uh, who who did Green Book last year. So, you know, I mean, yeah. this the, the 1917 sudden that made me really realize like 1917 is a much bigger threat than because it, the other thing about it is the same muscles that help you win over the 80 HFPA award voters can be helpful in winning over the 8,000 or however many mm -hmm. Academy voters, even though those are two very, very different groups of people with mm -hmm. totally different rules. There are no rules on the HFPA. But to not sort of spread the wealth on picture and director suggests something, I'm not even sure what, just made me think, wow, 1917's a bigger threat than mm -hmm. I had realized. Something I think that's very interesting about 1917 is that it is still existing in that vacuum of only having played for like critics and Academy voter and voters in the United States because yes. it doesn't open in the United States till the 10th. So it's still in that like bubble of it hasn't had any sort of general audience backlash. Not that I expect there will be one necessarily, but there might be. And it's just interesting to me that it it's sort of like that. It's sort of like a Netflix thing where it gets to not that Netflix is having much success with their movies on the Golden Globes, but like it gets to sort of skate through without that like trial by fire that a lot of other um, these films had to go through. So I think that's interesting and I'll be interested to see how general audiences react. They couldn't have asked for a bigger bump for opening weekend, right? Than like no. this Golden Globes win. So uh, And I swear yeah, I was seeing like speculation that like it was opening wide too late, like people weren't talking about it and all of a sudden that Golden Globes win, like as much as we say it doesn't actually mean anything, it feels like that's reversed it entirely because it's going to get a Best Picture nomination, like we predicted that beforehand and then it's going to open wide. I guess it's opening wide this weekend and the nominations come on Monday. Day. So it's going to have that like twin bump and then it could be really visible at the exact moment that it needs to be. No, I mean, my father, who sees one movie every two or three years in the theater, emailed me and was like, I want to go to the movies. Should I see 1917? Yeah. I was like, OK. And there were so many ads for it during the Globes. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I've seen uh, Anthony's yeah. quote from Vanity Fair on like on my television screen every 10 minutes for the last two weeks. <laughs> uh, I was when I was home for the holiday. um, we were just kind of sitting around the house like December 26th, like the worst day of the year, like just like, what do we do with ourselves? And it was like four in the afternoon and the light was kind of slanting in the window and I was just like, all right, we're watching 1917. <laughs> everyone gather in the, in the living room. Like, I'll that's save what we're this doing. holiday. And everyone loved it. My sister who like hates war movies was like totally engrossed, put yeah. on her phone, you know, that kind of thing. And and I don't know. I think the one thing, and, and HFPA is bad in terms of prediction and all that, but like, they did Atonement one in its year mm -hmm. for drama. And I feel like those are similar movies, similar kind of directors, Joe Wright and Sam Mendes. So I don't know. I'm not as high on, on 1917 having the same results at the Oscars, but I think it's much more of a contender than we thought it was a week ago, which right. is yeah. you know, interesting. Yeah. I don't think sure thing at all, but I think, yeah, just, just really um, stock on the rise. And as, you know, 
a huge 1917 fan, I'd be thrilled. I'd be so thrilled. I love that movie. I would love to see it uh, go all the way. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Well, Joanna, speaking of your phase, I feel like we should get into Rocket Man. Um, and mm. congratulations to you on your personal victory. I assume they're they're mailing you your statue, right? Well, you know, I told Taryn, I told Taryn he could keep the globe part, but that I wanted the base, so he just like snapped it in half and is sending me the base. Well, Rocket Man has two Golden Globes too, because Elton John won two. I know, I know. Um, I think Terry I, I, should bonk you on the head with it, like um, Joey King. <laughs> you get a globe-shaped bruise. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that uh, what what excites me, because we're going to talk about the BAFTAs in a bit, but Taryn also got nominated for a BAFTA, which is not as surprising, you know, because they are a very British friendly organization. But like, um, could Taryn get an Oscar nomination? I mean, from this best actor is pretty wild. So I, I think beyond Phoenix and Driver, it still feels like anything is possible. That's my new hope. I don't think Taryn's going to win, but I really want Taryn to get a nomination for this. And like that, and thus endeth my Rocket Man, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I've been, like, I, I, I think that int- opens an interesting door, which is like, you know, again, the Golden Globes are not that great at predicting. But like, did anything shift for you guys, like in terms of what might be nominated on Monday? Because for me, I had this thought watching Aquafina's speech. I was like, I feel like given that Bombshell wasn't a huge hit and kind of has been, I think, lukewarmly received, let's say. Mm-hmm. I could see a world where Charlize doesn't get nominated, Aquafina, based on the kind of like, you know, strength of her speech and like the fact that it was nice to see her on stage, she gets in and Cynthia Revo gets mm-hmm. in and Charlize is left out in the uh-huh. cold. Whereas I could see Taryn Edgerton getting in, but I don't know who that would leave out. Uh De Niro still. I right. think at this point, yeah. I think maybe Jonathan Price. As we get into the Netflix of it all, like it's unclear where Two Popes lands in this thing. Like DiCaprio feels like he could get snubbed, but like I don't know. Mm. After the Globes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood starts feeling really big too. I mean, yeah, Best Actor and Antonio Banderas is someone who I think I've heard of some people being worried about because that's a small movie. It's foreign. Like it's not necessarily like a slam dunk. I still feel pretty high on Banderas, but no, it does like. Edgerton sneaking in feels really possible because who really knows what's going to happen in the back half of that category. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Aquafina. There's a lot of goodwill yeah. to Aquafina, and people kind of feel like she's one of the stars of this year. Yeah, no, exactly. And 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 there's a ton of goodwill for that movie as a whole. And if we get into sort of the Laura Dern being the representative win for Marriage Story, like a nomination for Aquafina is like the hey, we loved Farewell. We were not going to nominate anything yes. else. Maybe screenplay, but like you know, I, I think that that if if the Academy is at all concerned with spreading the wealth, there's where that can happen, I think, pretty mm-hmm. easily. And, 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 and I think justifiably. I think she's great in that movie. It's a wonderful movie. Um, I think that would not be a, um, a sort of concessionary-like nomination at all. I think that would be a, an earned nomination. Mm-hmm. 
But on the farewell uh, representation, like the supporting actress category is similarly kind of fuzzy below Laura Dern and Jennifer Lopez. And I feel like Josh Uzen is someone that we can look out for on Monday's nominations, oh, too. I saw her on the red I mean, carpet. I mean, she was at the Golden Globes looking incredible. Like, she looks like the Queen of England, like, you know, amazing with her, like, bouffant hair and this great dress. And, like, supporting actress, like, Margot Robbie got nominated twice at the BAFTAs for Bombshell and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's almost certainly not going to happen with Oscar. I, I, don't, I actually don't think it can. So, like, Margot Robbie cancels her out and then she's not there and Little Women isn't doing as well like there's totally room for things to change there too so maybe mm-hmm. two nominations for the Farewell and Acting that would be exciting I would love that I mean I, th- I think uh, you know about I was talking about this with a friend last night um, there are surprises you know I think that like Marina de Tavera last year getting mm-hmm. a supporting actress nomination for Roma. That was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. We thought maybe Elisa Aparicio would get, you know, uh, be the sort of representative actor for that film, but then the Academy liked it enough to give it to. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening with The Farewell. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, I was also ta- kind of arguing with someone on Twitter on, on Sunday night about, like, they were saying that, they were saying that like, Dern winning was a surprise, and I was like, no, it wasn't. Like, I mean, you know, that kind of is expected and you know and then we got into talking about whether she's gonna win the oscar and i was like but never forget the stallone rylance s- switch up where like mm-hmm. stallone had won golden globes and other previous awards and then he lost supporting actor to mark rylance and i don't know what that surprise would be this year but like i'm holding out hope that there's going to be some there's some unknown factors still in play because i you know it's not as fun when you go in like knowing who the four are going to be and um who the winners are but i wouldn't be shocked if a if a parasite um Actor actually Song got Kang in. Song Kang Ho in supporting actor feels I, I'd like another one. I think just on my limited conversations with some people who are in the Academy, that there might be more enthusiasm for Parasite there than than there is among the HFPA, um, right. and uh, and that it could break out of that kind of foreign you know foreign language box more than we might expect after the Globes. Yeah, especially because yeah. the Academy has so much atoning to do for like never recognizing South Korean filmmaking, which yeah. is like insane. Well, and, and, you ha- and I think you have more kind of serious film people who are more interested in catching something, somebody on the rise, you know, I, I don't know. That, yeah. that might be idealistic. In terms of surprises, if we if we need to consider the way in which people help their causes at the Golden Globe, like, should we consider Joaquin Phoenix at the Golden Globes, not just on stage accepting his award, but backstage in the press room, and whether or not that attitude will have anything to do with his win? Because, like, there's a way to be like, hey, awards don't matter, we're all winners. And there's a way to be sort of like somewhat openly combative towards the whole process, which is the vibe I was getting off of Joaquin Phoenix that night, especially in the press room, some poor journalist. I mean, this might just be like me. Maybe voters don't care. But as a a journalist, I cared that he kind of beat up on a journalist who asked him, yeah, maybe a kind of like facile question about his process. But like Joaquin was pretty rude to him in in the press room. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm like taking this too much to heart or whatever, but I just I felt like that was a bad look uh, on the night when you win the Golden Globe. So I, I almost think the f bombs are like a bigger problem. It's like, is he going to do that on our stage? Like we don't necessarily, <laughs> you know, people at home don't know what the hell you're saying because they're just <laughs> holding down the beep button. Yeah. Um. But uh, that was not a uh, Oscar audition speech that that would help in any way. That's for sure. It's so funny for having me like I didn't prepare anything. It's like everyone you were going to win one keen or like you had a decent shot at it so for him to show up like not looking prepared it's like all right well that's how you feel about the whole thing but also he's been this way always like it's not anything new like gary oldman i guess cleaned himself up a little bit more and like was more friendly to win his oscar but it doesn't seem to have hurt joaquin thus well it's far. not like adam driver's gonna gonna yeah. do a charm offensive either right. uh so jonathan that's price helpful. has got to swoop in he seems happy yeah. to be there oh i don't know they they kept cutting to jonathan price and he was just stony face <laughs> yeah, right, antonio Banderas yeah. seemed happy to be yeah. there yeah. but Antonio's after uh, pope francis slapped that woman's hand i think yeah. that was very bad for jonathan price <laughs> no i no, i, I disagree. I feel like he's been like John, Pope Francis as a human. He's out there apologizing. Go see the two popes for more. It all, it all ties together. Um, the Banderas <laughs> thing is interesting. So I um, for the first time uh, ever uh, voted with the National Society of Film Critics this past weekend oh. where Antonio Banderas won Best Actor, which means that he won the, I mean this is self-aggrandizing because I'm in two of them, but like <laughs> the three big critics groups, LA, New York, and, and National uh-huh. all gave Antonio the Best Actor Prize and I, I don't know that that has any effect on how Academy votes or whatever, but like 
I don't know. I think I think he's he's. I don't think he would win, but like he's getting nominated, right? I, Banderas. I feel pretty good about it. I like. I keep saying like best actor feels unpredictable, but like yeah. that critical support does make him really visible. And like, there's no one, no one's out there being like Antonio Banderas overrated. Like he, he he's so worthy of it. I just hope that he's not the swing one that Taron then. Take, yeah, exactly. You know, I'd be, I mean, I'd be pretty. Bummed. I feel like I think I think Banderas and Eddie Murphy are probably both on the bubble a little bit, and like I, I don't know. Um, I love Taron Edgerton as we know, but like. I would be upset if he replaced either Eddie Murphy or or uh, it Banderas. Would have been very helpful to Eddie Murphy, I think, to win. Yeah, and yeah. That, that was, yeah. Uh, I think, a disappointment. One of several disappointments for Netflix. Yeah, we should talk about Netflix because we, we haven't talked about the Irishman yet at all because the Irishman didn't win anything, which felt crazy because Scorsese was like very game the whole show. Like they kept cutting to him and yeah. Ricky Gervais made some Scorsese joke and he like kind of shrugged and nodded like like it's true. I can't remember what about the joke him was. being too uh, small to ride uh, an amusement park ride, wasn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> there, and he also said we're going to show a brief clip of the film later in the show. It's 88 minutes long. You know. <laughs> right, and, and Tom Hanks said he'd like to see the outtakes from The Irishman, yeah. and Scorsese left. So, like, yeah, Scorsese was a real, a real pal. Everyone night, likes yeah. to have Scorsese around, but they didn't give him anything. And uh, Joanne, I think you were saying earlier that like it was not a great night for Netflix overall, um, although they did win some television prizes. So, yeah, what do we make of this? Dan Daddario, the TV critic at Variety, tweeted something about uh, on Sunday night. He was like. He was talking about Amazon, but he was like, it's really funny that, like, they plastered all of L.A. with Mrs. Maisel ads and then just, like, won everything with Fleabag kind of by accident. Uh And I feel like Netflix, in a similar way, I don't know. I wonder if they had put more chips behind Marriage Story, if that would be – because I feel like in terms of the campaign stuff, they favored Irishman. Um, And that doesn't seem to really be panning out for them because it like it's I mean it, well, look tonight is the we're recording this on a Tuesday tonight is the New York Film Critics Circle dinner where the Irishman won best picture so like it's doing well um, I don't know I just wonder if they're sort of like thinking about their marketing strategy their awards campaign strategy because um, yeah it was a quiet night for them uh, on Sunday and that was probably not what anyone thought was going to happen mm-hmm. going in so I wonder if they're sort of reassessing as maybe Amazon is I don't know I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I think they need to double down on the Scorsese narrative. You know, I've I've brought this up before, and I think Joanna, like, kind of became nauseous. But um, but the idea that this is the fourth in a series that began with Mean Streets, that this is an epic film achievement. Like the Return of the King narrative. Yes, and now is your chance to reward the whole thing and these guys for this incredible contribution to our culture. And, like, I think they should be using, actually, like, making better use of the sort of, you know, the way these guys have looked in all these things, this interesting transformation, how we've grown up with them. Like, they need to be hitting this harder if they want to have any chance, I I think, of getting Best Picture. And I don't really know what else they can get at this point. Like, Adam Driver is a tough horse to ride in the sense that he doesn't like to do anything and he, you know, insulted Terry Gross, which is like a mortal (laughs) sin in like limousine liberal land. Um, I can't believe how many people have come up to me and been like, I just think that's terrible what Adam Driver did to Terry Gross. (laughs) I'm like, really? But, um, you know. Joaquin Phoenix is like cussing out the press room and (laughs) leaves the room. You know, don't don't mess with NPR when you're trying to win over a bunch of sort of like, I I don't know. I guess so. So, um, I feel like adapted screenplay for Irishman is still an option. Like that's Steve Zalian, who is kind of a big deal. But, I mean, you're talking about like big. I'm talking about trying to make a real run at picture. Yeah. Because I think that they, you know, I don't know. or, Or director. I think what's possible, um, like taking a larger look at this award season, is that Netflix tried to play it too wide 
right? With like two popes, Dolomite, Mary's story and Irishman all running hard in their various like avenues where they saw, you know, it's just like a very ambitious award season. And maybe after like Roma, they felt super emboldened to do that. But maybe they need to coalesce their at this point, coalesce their efforts around like, okay, Laura Dern's going to win. So there's there's a there's an award for you. Now push everything else you have behind Mary's story. I mean, behind Irishman, if that's where you feel like you want to go, like pick your lane and just push it. Mm-hmm. That's like, yeah, so I agree with I, you, Mike, is what I'm saying. They have, it's like the Bloomberg campaign. You know, they've got 150 people working on this. And I, I think you're absolutely right. There's sort of like, therefore, there's a tendency to kind of place chips all over the board. That's fine. But at this point, like, what was the, you know, what was the King's speech thing? It's time or whatever. Or the, the imitation game thing, like honor the man, honor, honor the film. Yes. They need like, at this point, they actually need to like distill it down to their like three word thing mm-hmm. and yeah. go at it with all of the shamelessness of a, you know, Harvey some of Weinstein. the horrible people <laughs> who have uh, formulated this this battlefield. Well, because I think that, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, but like, I think the slight problem with a Netflix movie at this point is that and particularly the Irishman, the Martin Scorsese, the end of this tetralogy about gangsters in you know, the, the Northeast of the United States, <laughs> um, it has a sense of inevitability to it, but because there are no box office numbers, people aren't lining up at theaters to go see it, there's no payoff. There's no, there's right. no, there's no period to that sentence. The period is the awards, I guess, but like, I think that's the kind of uphill battle that Netflix has to fight, is that like, people know that movie exists, it's a big deal, people have seen it, yes, but like, no one knows when anyone saw it or how they saw it or what, you know, what money it made or whatever, you know. And I think that that kind of makes the movie or any Netflix movie, frankly, kind of hang in the air without any sort of like, hmm. you know, like I, I think that's partly why Roma didn't win Best Picture last year. I mean, it, I mean, it won a ton of other awards. So it's not like people aren't going to give Netflix movies prizes. But like, um, I don't know. I think The Irishman just has to kind of combat its own legacy a bit while also celebrating its legacy even yeah. more. They have. I mean, know? they have a problem that you're absolutely right. The lack of the sort of traditional metrics. And then there's a bunch of people who just resent them for not you know, participating in the theatrical, traditional theatrical world. And then there's a lot of people who are scared to death of them. And then now I imagine there's a number of people who feel alienated and annoyed that Scorsese is attacking the work that they do because a lot of these people make superhero movies, Uh you know. So um, it may be an uphill battle that looks like an inevitability, which is always not a great spot to be but, in. Right. But now do they get to look like the underdogs and then go back from there? Like, I don't know that anyone's going to take pity on Netflix because, like you said, they're all terrified of them or want to work for them. But, it, I mean, it maybe does benefit. Like, if the Irishman gets seven nominations instead of 11 on Monday, like, maybe then they get to fight uphill. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, again, we forever try to dive into the psychology being John Malkovich style of, you know, Academy voters' heads or whatever. But, like, I think that Irishman has a Glenn Close problem, which is, mm-hmm. well, that's they're probably going to win, but I'm going to vote for the other thing because mm-hmm. I, I like that more, you know. And I think that, that that's, how you, that's how you don't win, you know. So why doesn't Once Upon a Time in Hollywood have that problem? I think because it came out longer and thus the people who like it are more devoted fans of it. Hmm. It's not as, like, you know, I don't know. Plus, anecdotally, a lot of people are watching it on planes right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just oh, having spent a lot of time yeah. on planes, I'm seeing a lot of people watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on 100%, planes. 100%. So. That's for sure. I yeah. think they both, though, do... Well, first of all, I think, honestly, don't underestimate how much it's helpful that literally Hollywood is in the title and it's an L.A. movie. And then I think the other thing is that if you are like a real film snob who loves an auteur director... There's a little bit of an instinct to be like, shouldn't we be rewarding director Bong then? Because he's mm-hmm. in his prime yeah. and mm-hmm. he's somebody who is like, you know, Quentin and Scorsese are still doing great work, but like arguably their greatest work was done a little while ago. And this guy's and doing they have Oscars his, for some of their right. Work, this yeah. guy's making his Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. you know, Raging Bull right now. Like, don't we want to catch that wave? So it's interesting. That's like it's like almost too exciting to think being like could Parasite win Best Picture like it well, doesn't feel impossible I think it could, the it Academy could has younger direct. voters I mean the HFPA again yeah. is like 80 old mostly old people like and but the, the Academy is a huge much by comparison group and especially with recent initiatives have a lot more younger more plugged in people who more are going to be like yeah more international who are going to be like oh that's like I mean Although its base may be, you Still. know, their equivalent of like the the ten thousand Wisconsin voters is right. like you <laughs> know the all vote. the people right. eating lunch 
at like La Scala in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and, dir- and director Bond kind of, I think, needled those people by saying, if you get past the f- the inch high yeah. fence of of subtitles, there's a, it will you'll get to like a whole world of other movies. Um, and maybe I don't know. <laughs> They're like, no, I will not read. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, and, and Parasite had like this big splashy industry like screening in LA like last week, right? Or where where like Brad Pitt and Leo went and like kissed the ring and were like talking about how much they love Parasite. Like there, it was like this really starry screening that they had in LA that that like the pictures were everywhere of people just like like famous people talking about how much they love Parasite. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that's a really smart timing, like really really great thing for them and their momentum. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to look for from the nominations for Parasite to because like we expected to be in picture and director. Like I guess a Song Kang Ho nomination would be a good sense of its strength, but we thought that for Roma and it didn't win Best Picture. Like it's a, it's going to be such a hard thing to know. Uh, in the coming weeks, how strong it is. Do we think that there's, just while we're kind of thinking about Monday's nominations announcement, do we think that there's like an extremely loud, incredibly close, like, huh, (gasps) Best Picture nominee? I don't know. I I feel like, I mean, like, at this point, I'd be like, if Ford Ferrari got in there, I'd be like, oh, okay. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Knives Out would be interesting. Two Popes would be an interesting Mm -hmm. Best Picture, like, kind of surprise. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah. I'm like looking through Gold Derby's predictions. Well, do we expect Uncut Gems or not? Oh, that would be interesting. That would I don't be expect wild. that to happen. No. But Knives Out or Uncut Gems, either of those I think would be interesting. Uncut might have a similar Hustlers problem where, like, in a different way, like, oh, it's too vulgar. Yeah. 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 It has the seventh most most F-bombs of any Although, movie, yeah. right? Again, so I will yeah. say, I, I did talk to a probably non-representative couple of Academy voters for a while. Well, you were sitting they... at John Voight's table who was yelling <laughs> at Bruce Shark. <laughs> Shut up! I loved Uncut Gems. <laughs> no, but these two loved Uncut Gems. So I do, okay. I do think that yeah. there is a, and it was like, and like, best movie of the year oh wow okay Um, that's a great bold prediction for best picture and also it's worth remembering like we haven't had 10 best picture nominees since they changed it to the sliding scale it's never happened right yeah not not since it's been an option I wonder if this is the year that we get 10 Mm -hmm. because there's so many different possible constituencies there yeah I'm just I'm holding out for surprises because I was a little bit like eh, about the, the the show on Sunday, even though I guess 1917 things were a surprise. But uh, yeah, I just want some wild stuff to happen. Yeah, it feels like some weird, especially as I was saying in Sporting Actress, because Laura Dern has like sucked up so much of the oxygen uh, and in Best Actor, it feels like there's room for weird stuff. I mean, like, don't forget, like, Willem Dafoe got nominated for Ed Attorney's Gate last year and all of us were like, what? Yeah, like, no one, like, like, no one hey, had seen that movie. How about George Mackay from 1917? I was thinking about oh. this follow up like before like a couple of episodes ago we're like say his name and now we're like now we know how to pronounce his name <laughs> yes uh, I know I said it wrong. wrong that day when I was <laughs> yeah, trolling yeah. everybody George Mackay I met him George lovely young man yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah because well, he it, and um, Dean Charles Chapman were at our party at the Golden Globes yeah. a great portrait of them on yes. DF.com well, you yeah. met him? I felt yeah. <laughs> I felt a little bad when Sam Mendes is like I think it was Sam like when he got up and he accepted the war he's like it's really hard to open a film with like nobody in it and George is like right <laughs> over his shoulder Andrew and I was Scott's like, there too man <laughs> yeah um, but yeah George Mackay I would love that that would be great 1917 oh. what a great film go see it although the everyone. way these things work it'll be like Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> in supporting actor yeah, <laughs> Richard Madden. Although Richard Madden is really Madden good. Richard Madden is in it. great in 1917. Yeah. I mean, literally yeah. one scene. He's great in Rocket Man too. Between that and Bodyguard, between 1917 and Bodyguard, Richard Madden, I think, has become the preeminent young British actor up who can do crying, but while not trying to cry, like because mm-hmm. he does that both in Bodyguard and this, and he's very good at it. Not in Rocket Man because he's playing an actual human monster. Oh yeah, he's playing a real yeah, yeah. crazy in that one. Uh, should we talk about the BAFTA nominations? Mm-hmm. Um, and, Speaking and, of British and, and WGAs and the PGAs have come out since we've been recording. Um, but the BAFTAs. Uh, ran into some hot water because they had all white acting nominees which is something we had I think we talked early in the season about that being a potential for the Oscars and we've kind of given up on that as a possibility like I think there's enough uh, actresses in the best actress race uh, Antonio Banderas and best actor but uh, the BAFTA sure ran into it so um, that's troubling for what's ahead it's one thing to nominate all white performers. It's another thing to nominate Scarlett Johansson and Margot Robbie twice. Yeah. Both of them. Like, I'm like, okay. Like, you know, you couldn't, like, come on, guys, please. I know. Uh, well, it's really embarrassing it, for them, I think. Uh, that's when and, it starts and, to seem willful. Yeah. Almost. Like, pointed yeah, yeah. in a way. Yeah. I know it's not. But it just because like it's it a large reads group. That way. Like they all submit their yeah. ballots, and then it kind of shakes out the way that it does. Like as, you can't like put your finger on the scale. But yeah, I mean, in the BAFTA's own like heads, we're like, yeah, this is embarrassing. We're sorry about it. I don't think this will happen to the Oscars. But he also he gave one of those. Uh, it's Mark Samuelson, chairman of the BAFTA Film Committee, and he said he gave one of those things where he says, "We can't make the industry do something. All we can do is encourage and push." So he's like, "It's not our fault that the industry." 
basically only casts white people. And I'm like, that's not at all what your nominations are reflecting. Your mm-hmm. nominations are reflecting you nominating Margot Robbie twice yeah. in the same category. My goodness. Um, that being said, there's a lot of nominees in there that I'm really excited about. Jesse Buckley, yeah. Wild Rose makes me really happy. Booksmart getting a nomination makes me really happy. Yeah. Caitlin Deaver in the Rising Star category makes me really happy. So there's a, there's a lot to be happy about. It's just like... There are years when the Academy has nominated only white performers and I'm like frustrated and whatever. And then this is just, I'm like embarrassed for the BAFTAs this year. So, yeah, I mean, the thing I noticed from the BAFTAs, because I got the the press release before I saw the news about it, is that Joker, I think, got the most nominations Mm -hmm. at the BAFTAs. Like that feels like a sign. Like the, the strength of Joker is something that I think we tend to underestimate maybe a little bit because like, you know, it's not our favorite movie, but like, yeah, I got 11 nominations more than anything else. Well, Britain has a crown prince and now they have a clown prince. But going back to Jesse Buckley, which I agree, Joanna, that's a nice nomination. Um, that's another movie that I watched with my family over the holiday. Oh, great family movie. And it was perfect. Yeah. It was like, it hit every single thing it needed to hit. It was uplifting. It was, you know, not Cloying. It was. It was just. Per- it was great. So everyone should watch it. I would love that her to get a surprise Oscar oh, nomination. Yeah. It well, happen, and Mary but... Steen version for song. Like that's a oh, surprise nomination. That would be so I, good. I, it would be a surprise. I mean, um, I've been mildly obsessed with the original song. Like that's something that could really shake up the whole thing. But otherwise, Elton John and Bernie Taupin winning at the Golden Globes and saying they had never won an award together. It was like, oh, okay, that's it. That's because yeah. that, the rest of the original song category is kind of meh. They've never won a Grammy. It's crazy. Yeah. I did, I, that didn't make any sense to me. I know. Yeah. Now that Cats is like not even getting, now that Universal's like, we give up, like, don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, that does leave a space for, for my for Wild Rose. I know. Well, sneak in there, but I think people know about that story now. I, I think voters probably know about it. Um, so yeah, yeah, that would be good. I mean, because I mean, Cats didn't make the shortlist anyway, so it's out of the, it's, it was kicked out of the oh, company. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. right. Um, but, but Wild Rose is still in there, so. Uh, yeah, that would be great. Um, I think other BAFTA things that like feel, uh, you know, it's hard to find the good in there. But um, I guess like Florence Pugh, like that's cool. Um, yeah, Little Women got a mm-hmm, PGA nomination mm-hmm. too. So, you know, yeah. it, it's obituaries have uh, probably uh, been too um, hastily written. Yeah, Ryan Johnson getting a screenplay nomination for Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Like Knives that, Out was also on the PGA That feels list. like something that could happen on Monday. Yeah, well, yeah. Like seeing him and Daniel Craig and Anna Darmus at the Golden Globes and then like, mm-hmm. like I was I was looking at its box office this morning. It's made like $350 million worldwide. It's this it's huge, been a huge hit. I, I actually never understood why it wasn't in the Oscar conversation in a bigger way. Well, because it's fun. And, you know, the Oscars don't enjoy fun. Have you seen 1917? Can we, like, I know, that's not good. Sparks some sort of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, right. And then the news just broke that they're going to, that he's, like, going to make a second one, which he had been, like, talking about hoping to do. Mm -hmm. But it was, like, all dependent on people actually going to see it. And then people actually went to see it. And so THR, like, breaks the news. So, like, yeah, the, the momentum is there. Orion screenplay nomination and best picture I would be so thrilled it was that also the great. great meta story of the Star Wars movie that like there's been this whole perceived like they're trying to undo Last Jedi and then Knives yes. Out is just yeah. like quietly succeeding so yeah. the like petty part of you wants to see an Oscar nomination for that movie it's like <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't gonna head. say that I'll let you be petty for me. I, <laughs> I haven't even that. seen Rise of Skywalker, so uh, I. I also think that um, Han Jin Won uh, getting uh, and Bong Joon Ho getting nominated for screenplay for Parasite yeah. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is is nice and hopefully will be something that's repeated. I, I don't know that Academy people are reading it, but if it, but if anyone's curious about screenplay uh, about Parasite screenplay, the English language translation has just become publicly available Ooh, online. Ooh, I read that. Um, if you know, so I think that's interesting, and I, I think you know, even p- if people don't speak Korean, I think that like extending a certain understanding that that is a incredibly intricately well written movie. Um, you know, I, I, it's rare that foreign language films get screenplay nominations, so I, I, I hope that the Parasite can kind of break that tradition. And Parasite got a WGA screenplay nomination Great. as well. Yeah. Um, and screenplay WGA nominations are tricky because The Farewell and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood both were ineligible because um, of WGA rules. So presumably they would both be in. What were the rules? Well, Quentin Tarantino's not a member because he's been feuding with the WGA forever. Okay. Um, and I don't. I maybe Lula Wong's not a member of WGA. I don't know that one, but um, both were ineligible. So. Um, I presume they would both be in the oh, original category, which would, you know, Knives Out got in screenplay. Um, Booksmart. Yeah, Booksmart. My beloved, my beloved Booksmart. I know. Well, Booksmart getting so. that and a BAFTA nomination, like, that's that's a good sign. 
I know. I mean, I, I think you're right that once um, the farewell and once upon a time in Hollywood are in are in the running, like Booksmart isn't out. But like 1917 I mean, got a WGA nomination, and like that's something that you can imagine that screenplay not making the cut. Since what's impressive about that movie most is other stuff. <laughs> Sorry, Joanna. And, well, barely any talking. Like, that's, that's <laughs> you a have to write the non-talk. Didn't the artist get a screenplay nomination? Yeah, yeah you got to write the non-talk. Yeah. Once upon a time. But, yeah. That's true. There's that's also true. a nice story behind 1917 screenplay in that it's, A, based on Sam Mendes' grandfather, but also he brought in a co-screenwriter, and she was like kind of a history buff, and they worked. They had a nice collaboration together, and they created you know a sort of, uh, well, I think what will be a hit. you know. Well, and also, 1917 being such a boy movie, having a female screenwriter is a good you know, sure. narrative to for them to push there. Yeah, well, I mean, and that that reminded me of uh, when that um, charming Icelandic woman won for the, the, for the Joker. score for oh, the Joker, so and I was charming. like, oh, a lady wrote that, and it like <laughs> made me like the movie a little bit more. I know, and, well, like, and the score yeah. for Joker is impressive, and she mm-hmm. also did the music for Chernobyl, which is wild. Like, what a year that was yeah. spending in Joker well, and Chernobyl. The, the Gold Derby um, uh, email thread. <laughs> What a wild uh, place that must yes. be. Yes, um, did a whole thing about the Joker score because somebody was like, what the hell? How did this happen? And then everybody dogpiled them and said, <laughs> you don't understand. That score is absolutely brilliant. The movie is basically, you know, and the performance is basically built around the score. It will win the Oscar. Uh-huh. Like, go shut up. So apparently, <laughs> I didn't know any of that, but apparently that's a that's a thing. John Voight's on the Gold Derby email list, too. <laughs> can, I, can I voice my... Um, very stupid theory as to why the Joker score is winning. Um, it is a TikTok meme. <laughs> so that's... Is it? Mm. Well, how many Academy voters are on TikTok? I know you think I put too much weight on on uh, tic- on memes, but let me just say this. Maybe they're hearing it come out of their children's phones in their houses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like a subliminal thing. They're just yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like because it's, the whole, it's just the in their whole head. meme. It, the whole meme is just the score. It's the like the bathroom dance score, and that's the whole meme is like these young men dancing to the Joker score. I've heard it a bajillion times out of TikTok, and I like listen. Here's the thing I'll tell you about TikTok. A lot of older celebrities are on TikTok because their kids are on TikTok. Yeah, like I saw I saw Courtney Cox Arquette dancing with her child on TikTok this morning. So like it's happening. What a weird um, world. Yeah, what a weird world. Wow. Uh, any other uh, wild last-minute Oscar predictions you guys want to make? Well, we'll again, we'll do a nominations episode on Monday after they come out and see how wrong we were. But we've talked about a lot. I think we're a shoe-in for best podcast. Yeah, that's definitely. A, that's on yeah, there, right? Yeah, well, well, we're all Academy members now, so we're voting for ourselves. <laughs> right. well, we should have mentioned, by the way. I'm also just, I just got into the HFPA. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm really, really happy. That's great. Yeah, thanks. When does the uh, private plane to uh, <laughs> right. Right. Fiji leave? Right. If, t- if anyone t- asks, I technically live in the Dutch Antilles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do want to. I do want to shout out uh, really quickly one last Globe thing. I do want to shout out Brad Pitt for um, describing the HFPA as eclectic and ever raucous. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the most like beautiful and and politic way of being like these these it's people bunch are of weirdos. Us. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, just. I mean, Brad, just one last one last yay, Brad. I can't wait for you to have an Oscar. He sort of. crushed it. Yeah. Also, he, LDC yeah. was. I don't know LDC, why I, know. I really liked that. I. I, 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 I liked too. I've never heard that construction. I never heard And I was like, yeah. well, now that's what he is. I was like, who's he talking about? I was like, yeah. oh, cool. LDC is great. All right. Well, as promised, we'll be back on Monday uh, with an episode talking about the nomination. So um, join us then. In the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com uh, covering all of the awards news this week. And there is tons of it. You can find us on Twitter at Little Goldman. You can find us on Twitter on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Mike. Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard. Rylaws. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best description of Joey King's post-Golden Globes Monday morning goes to Joanna Robinson. They couldn't have asked for a bigger bump. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Review's Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Luna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.
from PRX.